May 10th, 2023. We're in Masechet Beza and Daf Yod Zayin Amudbet, three lines from the top. The Gemara is in the midst of dealing with the issue of Avar Ubishel Mahu. If a person didn't have an Eruv Tafshilin, they didn't prepare before Yom Tov the necessary preparation so that they could cook from Yom Tov for a meal on Shabbat. And furthermore, let's make up a situation. They're in a, an area where there is no Rav Ha'ir, so there's no one to depend upon. Or alternatively, it's a Rav Ha'ir who looks at them and said, you've been negligent in the past. I wasn't leaving it for you this year. So they're not able to bank on that. They're furthermore not able to be Marbebe which is another question people asked yesterday that you would add into the pot in order to prepare for your Shabbat meal, or they decided not to. They were alver ubishel, defiantly it sounds like, even though they didn't leave Eruv Tafshilin, they didn't forget that they didn't leave it, they didn't leave it, maybe that was forgetting, and in the moment on Yom Tov, they're looking forward to Shabbat and say, my goodness, I don't have an Eruv Tafshilin, but I won't have a meal for Shabbat, instead of turning to my neighbor and asking them for some food, instead of scrapping together the prepared foods that we already have, maybe left over from Yom Tov, I cook, my wife cooks, we walk into the kitchen, we set forth a meal for Shabbat. What's the status of the food that we then prepared? We weren't allowed to be doing that, there's no question. Once we did it, is the food now permitted for consumption or not? Why should it not be? Well, the reason it shouldn't be is because what's called a kinas. It's a penalty from the rabbis. You didn't have eruv tafshilin. You went ahead anyway and cooked. It's true from the Torah this food is permitted. But rabbinically speaking, since we told you to prepare the eruv tafshilin, which we understand you forgot to do, but you nonetheless went ahead and cooked, maybe as a result it should be forbidden. That's the issue of the Gemara. It attempted one proof, knocked it down. It's into its next one, which we began yesterday with regards to the first deflection as well. Tashema. What's that? Either way. Tashema. If you're not allowed to cook, you're not allowed to cook, and the food won't be permitted. Tashema. The Beraita has the following statement. Person who did prepare eruv tafshilin is allowed to, in turn, both uh, do uh, cook, uh, baking and cooking and uh, use an insulation, uh, insulation system with regards to their cooking. That's called hatmana. Once you already prepared your meal for Shabbat on Yom Tov, uh, you can go ahead and eat from your eruv tafshilin. It's not as if you need the eruv tafshilin present on Shabbat as you're having your meal, as long as during the time of preparation you had a eruv tafshilin, dayenu. Achalo ad shelo afam. What if, alternatively, you ate it, someone in your household ate the eruv tafshilin. You left it on, before Yom Tov, but on Yom Tov, uh, it was eaten, and now you want to prepare your meal. So you say to yourself, you say to the people, you say to the rabbi, we prepared an eruv tafshilin, but there is no eruv tafshilin left. You haven't yet finished your cooking, your baking, your insulation process with regards to preparing the food. In that circumstance, you're stuck in a bind. It's true, you did think about it before the holiday. It is tragic and unfortunate that someone, even you, ate from the Eruv Tafshilin because you did have it in mind. It was purposeful intent entering into the Yom Tov that you would have the Eruv Tafshilin, but it's not here. 
What are we going to do? You ate it. You lost it. It's no longer with you. You can't now be cooking. Aval. Mevashel hu tov. However, continues the Beraita, you can cook a meal for yourself and your family on Yom Tov. Vim hotir, hotir le Shabbat. And if you had extra, if you have leftovers from that meal, you can use those leftovers on Shabbat without a problem. Key and critical words coming up. Ubilvad shelo ya'arim. Vim he'irim asur. However, you can't purposefully, in a conniving, sly, tricky fashion, ha'arama, look to game the system, search for the loophole, and wink as you're doing so, realizing this isn't really for my Yom Tov meal, but let's make a lavish meal, understanding and fully knowledgeable of the fact that nobody is going to eat this much food in your family or beyond on Yom Tov, and the only reason you're making the extra food is for Shabbat. Don't do so. That's called Ha'arama. If you did so, Asur, you're not allowed to consume that food on Shabbat. You may not eat that food on Shabbat. The assumption of the Gemara is that that's a directly parallel case to our own. Our own is a situation where you didn't have Eruv Tavshilin. Forget about cooking extra for your Yom Tov meal. You just cooked, went ahead and cooked for Shabbat. In that situation, it was Bi'isur. It was a forbidden action in cooking. That was our question. What's the status of the food that you went ahead and cooked and you baked and you insulated? We're likening it to the ha'arama. Why should it be any different? Whether I was part of my Yom Tov meal and then I just made extra knowingly, knowing that I was going to use it on Shabbat, or I just prepared the food for Shabbat. If the halakha by ha'arama is that mashib bishel, mashafao, mashihitmin asur, so so too it should be over here. Amaravashe. Ravashe distinguishes. Ravashe says ha'arama, that sly, conniving, tricky action, is different than ours. Amar Ravashe ha'arama ka'amarta? Are you talking about, are you referencing and mentioning in our context the sly, conniving action? That's worse than defiantly going against the rabbinic enactment, not having Yairuv Tavshilin in any way cooking. Why? Shane ha'arama where you're sly, tricking and tricky and conniving in your activity, it's more hamur, the rabbis would be more stringent, more mahmir upon you than a situation where you defiantly, ironically, go against the situation where you don't have iruv tafshilin. Why would ha'arama be worse in the eyes of the rabbis? We mentioned it yesterday. Look at the left-hand side in Rashid, Dibura Mathil, Shanei ha'arama, writes Rashid, le'olam. Le'olam, when the rabbis mention it in this type of context, it means let's remain with our assumption. Le'olam avar ve'afa mutar. I can claim and should perhaps assume that even if I went ahead and defiantly against the situation, not having an Eruv Tafshilin cooked and, and baked the food, although I shouldn't have done it, might be mutar. But what about Ha'arama? What about uh, the case that we're citing as our case study? Ha'arama enare ayalekan. You can't bring proof from the case of where the person winked, where the person smirked. Well, the person chuckled as he says, well, I'm going to make an extra large meal for Yom Tov. Why not? Because ha'arama could be and should be by the rabbis envisioned as, my word, more dangerous than mezid. If the student comes into the class 
and defiantly in front of the whole class puts on a scene and cheats in front of everyone on the exam, it's less dangerous than the star student who quietly turns to the person next to him and everyone's aware that he's cheating. The one who does it quietly and turns to the person next to him, you look at him and you say, maybe that could pass. Maybe that's an appropriate thing to do. Maybe as long as I do it quietly, nobody will know and it's even okay. Where it's defiantly done, where everybody realizes you can't do this. The teacher saw you doing this. You're aware that what you're doing is wrong. You're not doing this in this sly and conniving way where you could justify the way you did it yourself, that's worse. People will learn from that. You won't do teshubah for that. In the situation, alternatively, where you do it defiantly, ironically, as wrong as the action is, that's why we'll be less lenient. We'll assume you'll fix your ways. We'll assume people won't look at you and learn from it. The ikale memar, because we should say, continues Rashi, that the rabbis were more stringent in ha'arama than in a defiant, purposeful action of cooking when you don't have iruv tafshilin. When I deal with purposeful intent, you're directly, again, the word I'm using is defiantly, you're a wicked person who's doing wrong, and well, People aren't going to learn from this. That's the guy who's off the beaten track. It's not the guy who's a part of us. He just has a good loophole. And he himself might as well do teshubah. Realizes he did it. It's not the point about whether you're right. My examples are he's doing it in front of people. It's the way in which he's doing it. It's my household. It's others. It's furthermore, says Rashi, it's myself as well. Says Rashi, the danger and the way we can characterize the danger is firstly by what others see, and secondly, how you understand it. Do you realize, that's right, Eli, do you realize that what you're doing is wrong, or are you justifying it? That's right. You will look to correct it if you know that you were doing wrong. Because since in such a circumstance, there's less of a danger. Nobody's saying you did the right thing. We fear less, if you did it defiantly, that you'll do it again. You're going to do Teshubah. We fear less that others will learn from you, as opposed to if I did it in that sly fashion. If I chuckled as I did it, everybody said, ah, we can just make a mockery out of this. We could just get around this. There's a loophole. Ah, you heard what we can do. We can just get around the system anytime and every time. There's nothing wrong with it. We can explain that it's for our meal. It's for that reason. In the defiant, in the mezid situation, the rabbis don't see it as an up rooting of Eruv Tafshilin, Aval Ma'arim, but when a person does it in a... That was the Rashi earlier we mentioned so, yesterday. So, so over there, since we're dealing with a less severe action, over here we're dealing with a Bishul. Bishul is an objective Melacha. Over there, as Rashi explained, you're dealing with ibud ochalim, with salting the uh, bones of an animal. It's not even an isur midrabbanan. The most you're dealing with is tirha. So yes, ha'arama does have an inherent danger. Over there, since it's so light in terms of its transgression, the rabbis permitted it with the realization that if they don't, 
you won't be slaughtering and eating meat on the holiday. That's the distinction here in our Gemara. Says the Gemara, but wait, we have another way of dealing with this potential proof. Again, the issue we're dealing with is what if a person is avar ubishel? A person goes ahead and is mevashel, is ofez, matmin, on yom tov for Shabbat, even though they don't have eruv tavshilin. Shouldn't have done so violated a rabbinic enactment and doing so. However, is the food now penalized that you can't enjoy that food? We're uncertain. We thought we brought a good proof from the case of Ha'arama where we said the food is forbidden. Not a good proof. Another reason to explain why it's not a good proof. We had one knockdown, crossing that out, saying remove it from our evidence. Second way of saying, really, take this off the table. It has nothing to do with our issue. Rav Nachman bar Yitzhak Amar Ha'maneh. Rav Nachman Ba'itzhak says, the author of that Beraita, which we just cited, with regards to the prohibition, the stringency by Ha'arama, the stringency in the case where you were tricky, where you winked and you smirked as you're doing it and saying, I'll have a larger Yom Tov meal, that we maybe could <coughs> equate that situation to Mezid. Well, if you could equate it to Mezid, I have a great proof. Hamaneh, who's the author? of that beraita, which means to say we're now going to suggest that that beraita will be the more stringent opinion. We'll have two opinions. We'll have a Beit Shammai and a Beit Hillel opinion. If that's the Beit Shammai approach, yes, Beit Shammai might be stringent. We're going to follow Beit Hillel, which means to say as much as it might be good evidence for the case, it's not going to hold ground because it's not relevant to us because we don't follow that opinion. You understand? Whereas the first approach says it's not sufficient evidence, it's not in Hanidon Domelera The case is not similar to the evidence. Now we're going to say, no, it is similar, but it might just follow the minority opinion or the less normative opinion. Whose opinion might that follow where we say it's forbidden in a case where you went ahead and prepared extra for Yom Tov knowingly and realizing that it's not going to be used on Yom Tov? Hananyahi ve'aliba de'bet shamay. It's Hananiah, one of the Tanaim, who explained something in the name of Shammai. Now you have to understand that Bet Shammai over here will only emerge as being stringent in the context of Eruv Tavshilin. That's all we're going to say. It's going to have no direct bearing on our situation, but it's mere stringency. Once we realize that they're stringent about this area, we can then say, maybe they're generally speaking stringent about Eruv Tavshilin, which in turn means it might not have relevancy. Listen, I think that all rabbis are done the Shem Shamayim. I do think, based on knowledge, understanding, and tendencies in certain um, domains, some rabbis are more stringent in this area than in that area. I've heard more than once, I heard Hacham Vadya Yosef talk about himself in such a fashion. It's their netiyah, it's their understanding of the Pesach Halacha. So Lehavdil, you went to the rabbi who's stringent always in the laws of Shabbat. And you heard the Pesach Halacha, you come back and you repeat it to me. I say, I don't know that that's the Halacha. You don't know that's the Halacha, but the rabbi said so. But that rabbi treats Shabbat in more stringent fashion always. How do you know? So well, I could give you case one, case two, case three. But those have nothing to do with my case, but they all have to do with Shabbat. And that rabbi's mindset when it comes to the Halachot of Shabbat, he's more stringent. I'm not saying he's doing it with the wrong intention. I'm not saying he's trying to overburden the people. That's, that's his netiyah for one reason or another. It's the understanding of the, of the system. As a result, the Gemara is going to do the same type of thing over here. Bet Shabbai, who have stringencies in general by Eruv Tavshilin, we might suggest that this stringency, im he'erim, asur, is only Bet Shammai. Says the Gemara, what is that statement of Bet Shammai cited by Hananiah de Tanya, as the Beraita tells us, teaches us, Hananiah omer Bet Shammai omrim en ofin, elaimken irev befat. 
ואין מבשלין, אלא אם כן עירב בתבשיל, ואין טומנין, אלא אם כן, אלא אם כן היו חמין תמונים מערב יום טוב. ובית הלל אומרים, מערב בתבשיל אחד ועושה בו כל סורכו. The statement here in the Beraita is a machloket of the spew between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, which we addressed about a daf and a half ago, maybe a daf ago. And that is with regards to preparing your eruf tafshilin, what's necessary um, as prepared food. So Beit Hillel says, Arabah, this case is okay? So it would emerge, give me one second, I'll, I'll come, the answer is yes. Um, the the Beit Hillel says that when it comes to eruf tafshilin, all you need to do is prepare one cooked item, chalas. But I'm gonna bake but I'm going to use insulation as my way of cooking. I'm not... Interesting question. One second. One second. All interesting and important questions, but first let me articulate the statement. Beit Shammai says that depending upon what type of process and preparation of food you're going to do, you need to have, so to speak, that process prepared beforehand. If you're going to be baking, you had to bake something before, and now I'm continuing that for my Shabbat meal. If you're going to be cooking in the traditional sense, something cooked, and I'm continuing it. If you're going to use insulation as a process to prepare your food, you need to have that before. Your betilil, in contrast, is absolutely not. All that's necessary is one cooked item, and with that you can make and bake and cook and insulate anything you'd like. Pause for a second, first A-B. That in turn means that Bet Shammai are stringent in the context of Hilchot Eru Shilin, and Bet Hillel are lenient in the context of Eru Shilin. We therefore, that's why I gave my whole preface with the Hilchot Shabbat in order to get around this question, uh, Jared. That's why I know you don't like my introductions that much, but here was very, very purposeful. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I I got one. All right. Here's here's the case. Uh, the the student uh, was caught cheating in Harari's class. They walk out and they're very nervous. What's going to happen? They heard that they were cheating in the uh, other uh, students' class. Oh, I'm a bad rap for the school. All right, whatever. Anyway, I was cheating in the other class, and uh, they got uh, expelled because they were cheating in the other class. Another student says, no, nah, I wouldn't say so. All right, I don't really care about your test grade scores. So I'm sure you did the wrong thing, but ultimately speaking, how do you know he doesn't care about it? Well, I got a 65, and he gave me a 95 on the report card. That already describes, but listen to the point, Jared, it describes to me the mindset with regards to this. Is there a general leniency? Since there's a general leniency, yes, Ha'arama was wrong. Betilel's not going to rationalize it, neither is Harari. But in terms of the repercussions, it won't be as stringent. As a result, the statement over here is, if according to Betilel, all that's necessary is one tafshil. Wait a second, but you're going to make afiyah and hatmana as well. But their statement is, we need one general statement. As a result, in turn, hatmana might be sufficient as well. Charles, as a matter of fact, was making a statement, a claim to me yesterday, in ha'arama, you might even, ironically, you might be accomplishing the point. You're making extra on Yom Tov for Shabbat. You don't have your ayruf tafshilim, but you are thinking about Shabbat, which is the whole point of it. I know, I know, but the hacha, but Bet Hillel says, we want you doing Eruv Tafshilin. It's important for you to do Eruv Tafshilin. In this situation, where you went ahead, and you didn't listen to us, I didn't want you to cheat on my time. 
it's, it's, and I'm going to punish you. I'm not going to punish you in the same, with the same severity. And I'm going to tell you you're not supposed to do that. I'm going to make you feel guilty for even doing so. But I'm not going to forbid it. Uh, so that's the statement in turn of the Gemara. It uh, says Nathan, he says, where did this come from, this hatmana? And what he means by that is, we saw it back on Daftetzayin Amudbet, uh, we saw very, 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 excuse me, on Daftet Vav Amudbet, we saw the statement of Rabbi Li'ezer. Rabbi Li'ezer was at the very onset of our Gemara, of our Perek, telling us, not the sourcing per se, but what Rashi called the Asmachta, what the rabbis leaned on with regards to Eiru Tavshilim. He says that the Pasuk says, Et Tevashelu Bashelu, Et Tofu Efu. And Moshe Rabbeinu turns to Am Yisrael and says to them, before Shabbat, that which you're going to prepare by cooking, cook it from now. That which you're going to prepare by baking, bake it from now. Rabbi Eliezer was understanding that as a reference in the eyes of the rabbis, in some respect, to Eiru Tavshilim. Well, listen to the words, bake and cook. Where'd you come up with insulation? Now the answer to that is, that was only an asmachta. That pasuk was not our sourcing, we're dealing with a din banan, ultimately speaking. So it was two examples in a pasuk which, technically speaking, even the rabbis admit, it's not actually talking about eru v'tavshilin. Now, that all being the case though, it bears mention again that Nathan's point was actually, to a certain extent, taken very seriously by Rabbeinu Tam. You might recall we learned this Tosafot back at Daf or so ago on the right-hand side. This Tosafot, the Matrila Marava, cites the opinion of Rabbeinu Tam, whose nephew, Ri, disagreed with him. What was their dispute? Rabbeinu Tam says, listen, I know we're posek halacha, and the Gemara will say it explicitly like Betilil. But that doesn't mean that you could just prepare the egg. You need a loaf of bread, you need bread as well. Oh, why do I need bread as well? Betilel's words were, Rabbeinu Tam said, no, but did you read the dirasha earlier in our Perek? It said, that which you're going to bake, you have to have baked. And that which you're going to cook, you need to have cooked beforehand as well. Says Rabbeinu Tam, it means although one cooked item can handle or cooking items, otherwise, like hatmana, for afiyah, you need bread. Read the Sagrid, what are you talking about? Look at the words that we just read in the Gemara. It says, That was the dispute in Tosafot. I will tell you, we read it from Shohan Aruch in Siman Taf, Kof Kaf Zayn, Shohan Aruch said, ideally, we go like Rabbeinu Tam. Ideally, we have a pita and a uh, egg. We have a matzah and an egg, whatever it is. We have afia and we have tafshil. Altern- uh, however, if under circumstances, you forgot, person didn't know the law, all they did was an egg, all they did was a piece of meat, a piece of fish, or whatever it is, a bishul, that would be sufficient. Again, it's all emanating from this tosafot, our sugya, and to a large extent, that pasuk, that derasha, which Nathan's mentioning. Okay, but that all being the case, we're still stuck. Our gemara, okay, just spoiler alert, it won't have a maskana, it won't have a conclusion, but at this point, we're really not concluded. What's the halacha? Avar ubishel mahu. We tried to bring a proof from ha'arama, we tried to bring a case for a situation where the person overcooked for the Yom Tov meal, winking as they're doing so, not allowed to eat from it. Maybe that means as well, when I defiantly go ahead and I cook uh, it, without an Eruv Tavshilin, not for Yom Tov with a sketch, but rather straight up, it's forbidden. One of two reasons why we can't prove from there. So what is the Halacha? Says Gemara, perhaps I can prove it from a Mishnah elsewhere, a Mishnah in Masechet Terumot Tashema HaMe'asir Perotav B'Shabbat. If a person has his fruits, which he needs to take terumot and ma'asrot from them on Shabbat, he's going to take his terumah from it on Shabbat. Terumah, as we know, is from all your produce. You need to take something and give it to the Kohen 
from the Torah, it's something. Even a little bit is sufficient. The rabbis gave measurements with regards to the amount you should give. If you're a normal, regular income and giving person, 140th of your produce. If you're more stingy, 150th. If you're very giving, 130th. Okay. But it's Shabbat. I haven't taken tirumah from the food, from the fruits in front of me. What's the halacha if I go ahead and I do it? Well, we're going to learn in the Mishnah later on, Vav, that you're not allowed to do it. Why are you not allowed to do it? This is significant. It's only Asur Midrabbanan, rabbinically. Rashi on the Mishnah over there says it's Niraki Mitaken. It looks like you're fixing something inappropriate. Harambam in his Mishneh Torah suggests it's because it looks like you're Makdish, like you're sanctifying something. Also forbidden on Shabbat. Either way you explain it, the halakha is it's asur to take tirumot and ma'asrot on Shabbat because the rabbis forbade it. That's important to have in mind in the back, the front of our mind from now, a rabbinic violation which is being transgressed in order so that I can eat on Shabbat. Well, that sounds a lot like our case, doesn't it? Our situation, you were supposed to have an eruv tafshilin. Rabbinically speaking, the rabbi said, don't cook on Yom Tov for Shabbat. I go ahead and I do so anyway. Now what's my objective? What's my outcome? Onik Shabbat, I have food now on Shabbat. Is it permitted or not? It'll be identical to this case, won't it? Ha-me'aser perotav b'Shabbat. B'shogeg ye'achel. B'mezid lo ye'achel. We distinguish between if it was done accidentally or purposefully. If it was done accidentally, you can go ahead and eat from that fruit afterwards. If it was done purposefully, however, you may not. There is a debate elsewhere in Masechet Bava Kaman Dafa'in Aleph with regards to what a shogeg and mezid if you went ahead and defiantly on an isumin haTorah mean. In other words, what does it mean that you can eat it? When can you eat it? Who can eat it? Under what is a mahlokit between Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Udar, Rabbi Yohanan Atzandar, Beit Yosef, Shohan Aruch, the beginning of Siman Shin Yod to debate this. For our purposes right now, we don't need those details. We need to pay attention just to the words in front of us. Imagine that it's talking about immediately realize we're talking about Nisumi Drabbanan. Should this happen in real time, we'll have to discuss the full-fledged ramifications. But over here, if it was done accidentally, you can eat from it. If it was done purposefully, you may not consume it. Wait a second, doesn't that tell us avar ubishel should be asur? Isn't it an identical situation or rabbinic violation? Which one's the oraita? You weren't listening to me, Jesse. I love you, but I told you it's mitaken, nirake mitaken, asumid rabbanan. Or it's nirake hektesh, it's asumid rabbanan. Tiruman Shabbat, I say it with a big smile, I'm sorry. Tiruman Shabbat taking it is only asumid rabbanan. That very clearly. Says the Gemara, la sericha di itle pere aharini. The case over there by Tiruman, the reason the rabbis were stringent might be specifically. Because, even though it doesn't say it, you have other food. You'll eat anyway. In our situation, we're suggesting the Eruv Tafshilin, you have nothing. Maybe over there, you went ahead to finally, against what the rabbis told you, you cooked. You could eat. The guy's not going to have any Onik Shabbat. He won't have any food. He's going to sit at a bare table on Shabbat. Over there. What's that? The suggestion would be, then it would be Mutar. We're suggesting, even though it doesn't say it, itle yesh lo pere aharini as other fruits. Tashema, but the earlier part of that same Mishnah says hamatbil kelav b'shabat. Also, Jesse and Isumid Rabbanan to be tovel to immerse your your to dip your um your what's it called your your dishes on Shabbat 
uh, whether it's because they were Tameh or alternatively because you bought them from a non-Jew, either one of those situations, to do so on Shabbat will be an Isur Midderabanan. Rashi over here, quoting from the Gemara, just one Amud later, and the opinion of Rava says it's because it's Mitakin. Rashi on the left-hand side, Hamatbil Kelab Avar He's violating an Isur Derabanan. It appears kemitakin. Uh, interesting question. Interesting question, which is debated and explained by the Rishonim. It's not for one reason or another, I'll, I'll address separately. But ultimately speaking, you went ahead and you uh, were tovel. You dipped your dishes on Shabbat. Shouldn't have done so, rabbinically speaking. And now the question is, can you use them on Shabbat? Can I eat my meal with them on Shabbat? Can I use them in order to put food in my mouth, food on the table? The statement again, significantly for us, is if you did it purposefully, it's forbidden now to benefit from them. Oh, wait a second. But now I'm not going to be able to have food. Now I'm not going to be able to chop up the fruits. Now I'm not going to be able to uh, put it in a dish in front of me. I'm not going to be able to eat my meal. And as a result, it should be identical to our circumstance. You're going to be making a situation, setting forth a situation where the person can't eat um, even though he only, quote unquote, violated Nisur de Rabbanan, clearly the rabbis are stringent. Says the Gemara there as well. I'll argue, I'll tell you. Situations, he has other utensils. You're right, these utensils, okay, don't use those. But he had other utensils, he's still going to be able to eat. We contrast that with our situation. Eruv Tavshilin. Remember, you didn't have Eruv Tavshilin. If you don't cook, you won't have food. Maybe over there it's permitted. I can distinguish between the case of tevila, the case of teruma, where in those situations I'll have other food. I just want this food. All right, you, can, you can't have this food, but you'll have other food. To our situation where you might not have any other food. Iname, alternatively, efshar b'she'ela, return to your next door neighbor. She'ela means to ask. She'ela is a reference to asking, borrowing. I could borrow utensils. I could turn to my next door neighbor. I could say, listen, I forgot to dip my, uh, my knives. Can I borrow your knife? That's possible. That's the situation. Our circumstance is not so. Oh, says the Gemara, I still haven't resolved the question. Final chance, final try. Tashema, same Mishnah there. Masechet Tirumot HaMevashel B'Shabbat B'Shogeg Yachel B'Mezid Lo Yachel. person goes ahead and is Mevashel. Now this is one of the 39 Melachot. This is now a violation, min ha-Torah. A person goes ahead and does bishuli, cooks. She cooks on Shabbat. Are they allowed to consume, enjoy the food that they cooked purposefully on Shabbat? The statement is, lo yachil. As I mentioned, mahlokin. That's an important question. All important question. The Gemara's answer will be telling, but each of your questions are, certainly the way I led you into it, um, a very telling. Uh, says the Gemara, isura de Shabbat shaneh. The Isur of Shabbat might be different. Why should it be different? Why can't I bring proof right. from there that it should be Asur over here? Rashi on the left hand side says, Isura de Shabbat bishul Shabbat me'avot melachotu vi'isur skilahu hilkach kantsuara banan the mezid. Says Rashi, the difference between Shabbat and our situation is Shabbat is Asur minat Torah with a violation which comes with the penalty of skilah, death penalty. When it comes to Yom Tob and cooking, at most, you're violating an Isum Drabbanan. First and foremost, it means our Gemara has no resolution. We never resolve the question. That's a very important question. 
it, it depends on the circumstance, depends on the situation. There's always mitigating factors. We're always not fully certain. We always, we always generally speaking, even debate it. It's an important question. How do we determine? We look in the post scheme, who then debated afterwards, which we will in a moment. But let me just briefly, or maybe we will at the beginning of class tomorrow, let me just briefly mention this last line in the Gemara. We explained it according to Rashi. It's interesting. It means according to Rashi, let's just briefly re- re- speak this out. It means according to Rashi, if on Shabbat, let's bring through the situation, on Shabbat, I'm tovel when I don't have other utensils. I take tiruma when I don't have any other food. I potentially could be using it. Because the only distinction on Shabbat where we'll say it's not is if I have other or if it was an Isu Min HaTorah. That final line, however, Rashba and some of the other Rishonim understand differently. When it says Shane Shabbat, that it's in Isura, which is different, doesn't per se mean because it's in Isu Min HaTorah. It means because Shabbat is more hamur. In other words, that last answer reverses our earlier two deflections. Instead of maintaining that was that answer and that was that answer, now I have a third answer to this situation, had nothing to do all along per se with an isur de rabbanano de oraita. has to do with the nature. It's Shabbat. Shabbat versus Yom Tov. Shabbat is going to be more hamur. And as a result, according to Rashba, it's an added stringency when it comes to Shabbat even if I won't have other food, even if I won't have other utensils, it would be Asur. But again, with regards to our sugya here in our Gemara, we never resolved it. We left it as an Iba'ya de la Ivshita, and at the very beginning of class tomorrow, we'll read from Shohan Aruch, the Halakha, the Ma'aseh, Baruch Adonai, the Alam, Amen, Amen, Bihanam,